We're going to spend some time this morning looking at Scripture, and I'd invite you to take a Bible, please, today and turn to Jeremiah chapter 29. If you um, don't own a Bible, uh, there's one in the pew rack in front of you. Maybe you've got one on your smartphone, whatever the case, but if you're grabbing the one in the pew rack in front of you, it's about that far through. And uh, if you don't own a Bible, we'd be glad if you'd take that home as our gift to you today. So uh, before, we, before we look for, and while, before we read from Jeremiah 29, a couple of things I want to bring to your attention, <clears throat> or a couple of stories, if you will. First of all, it's my habit to walk uh, for about an hour, oh, four or five times a week, and maybe, usually it's early in the morning, sometimes it's at the Y, sometimes at the mall, Sometimes if it's, if it's half-decent weather, I'm, I go outside, leave the house anywhere from 6 to 6.30 and walk for about an hour and then head on to work. And um, it's always good for me to reflect. And of late, of course, I've been praying for our neighborhood as I've been walking. And an interesting event happened uh, twice this week. Uh, many of you may know we live in the Forsyth area. And so my walk, it's usually about five miles for me to walk every morning. And uh, it takes me down past the park and then back up by the water, power, water tower near the park. And if you're familiar with Forsyth, are you familiar where the park is and the Little League Diamonds are and you're heading north on Forsyth Parkway? I was walking on the, on the bike path there. I think it was Monday morning. And I'm walking along and um, I, I noticed there's a woman with a dog coming my direction. Big dog. A, you know, a big um, male um, yellow lab, really kind of almost white, white haired. And I'm thinking, if you're like me, if you've ever ridden a bike or run or walked and dogs come towards you, you always wonder, how's this going to go? You know what I mean? Is the dog going to be straining on the leash to get at the, the stranger? And I've had dogs run at me when I've been riding my bike. That's scary. And so you, I'm thinking, okay, here comes this dog, let alone the lady, but the dog coming towards me. What should I do? Should I go on the other side of the street? And just as I'm about ready to think, I'll just cross over just to make it easier for everybody. The dog, uh, I could see he just laid right down on the pavement and put his chin right there. And I was like, whoa, what's with that? And so by, by the time I get up there, I said to the lady, why did he do that? Did you tell him to do that? No, I've never taught him to do that. That's the way in which he always takes a position if he wants to meet somebody. <laughs> Isn't that nice? He's down there with his head, and I'm going, wow. And I said, well, nice to see you. And off I went. <clears throat> and I, I was good, I guess, all right. So I'm, I'll come back to that story in just a minute because it's got some spiritual implications, trust me. Another story that I think some of you may be familiar with as well, many of you may have lived here in the city in the mid-90s. Leslie and I moved to town in 1994. And uh, we'll, I'll say it straight up, if you, were, if you weren't in town during those days, those days in 1994 through about 96 were extremely difficult in the city. Do you remember why, those who were around here? Labor unions and management were at great odds. As a matter of fact, it was a very difficult time in the city. The economy was in the doldrums. Uh, there were three labor struggles going on. And at the time, the national labor union leaders, if so leadership from around the nation, looked to Decatur, and they actually described the labor struggles here in Decatur as war zone battles. And now there are some books that have begun to come out. Uh, here it is, 20 more plus years since then, reflecting on those times. And I'd like you to hear some language from just one of those books. And I need to tell you, it's rather inflammatory language. It comes from the position of the unions. And if you're not, uh, don't understand that, then not everything you're going to read with, you're going to read, you're going to agree with, and neither do I. But at least 
it sets the tone for what it was like to live in Decatur in that period of time. Here's what uh, one of these books says. For nearly three years in the 1990s, the central Illinois town of Decatur, that's us, was the epicenter of a series of labor battles that crystallized many of the crucial issues that faced the labor movement. We had strikes at Caterpillar and Bridgestone Firestone. Of course, we eventually lost Bridgestone Firestone. There are some who would say that that's part of the reason we lost that, that company here in town, the strike there. And the lockout of the more than 700 workers at the A.E. Staley corn processing, corn processing plant. Now, here's where the language gets rather inflammatory, but I've just let it sit where it is. I didn't write it. It's just there. It pitted older unionized workforces against ruthless multinational corporations deter determined to turn back the clock to the pre-union era. I don't know that that's exactly what was going on, but that's how this writer is characterizing that moment. Certainly his next statement is true. At one point in 1994, an estimated one in four blue-collar workers in the city was on strike or locked out. And that's, that's less than I moved to town. That's what it was like. And... Um, Workers in Decatur described their city and state as a war zone. Soon labor activists around the U.S. began to refer to the three struggles as the war zone struggles. And I need to tell you, friends, those struggles, for those of us who lived through them, they didn't help the nation's view of our community in many ways. And particularly, we heard, as we were moving to town, we heard from other people who had recently moved to town and who continued to move to town in the years after that, we just hate living here. And I would need to tell you that that sort of thinking never struck home with us. It never resonated with us. Um, from, it seemed from less than I, from our perspective, the moment we arrived in town, we were natives. This is where God had placed us, and we were, we were all in. And for some of you who have grew up in Decatur, you just push against, and I would join with that, we push against any sort of sense that this city is not a good place. I mean, that's not been my, my experience has been that this has been a great place to live and a wonderful place to raise our children. I've, deep within my soul, deep within my soul, I have an understanding of this city being a community made up of people who are made in the image of God. And we are no different than any other community or no different human beings than those who live in other communities, whether it be in central Illinois or anywhere else in the world. The men and women of this community the children of this community, are people who are made in the image of God, and by being made in the image of God, they are people of worth. We are people of worth. I've never felt stuck, never felt assigned, never felt I've been dispensed to live in Decatur for 22 years. No, never felt boxed in or trapped, not in any way. I have, an, I think, a clear understanding of some of the issues our community faces, particularly after living here for 22 years. But I also see great potential and great possibilities. And that's what we're going to read about in Jeremiah 29. How godly people view the communities in which they live. So before we read Jeremiah 29, and before I tell you the rest of my story about that dog I met, I want to give you a little bit of background to Jeremiah 29. It was written some more than 500 years, more than 500 years before Jesus was born. We do know this, that uh, what happened was there were a number of Jewish people, the Jewish nation uh, was living in and around Jerusalem, and we know that at the, um, at the beginning of the 6th century BC, the Babylonians came in and they wiped out much of the nation, but they didn't kill all the leaders. As a matter of fact, they took some 3,000 leaders, political leaders, religious leaders, 
the business people, anyone who had any skill set that they could use in Babylon, they literally tore them out from Jerusalem and around the countryside there and shipped them off as slaves to Babylon. And when the slaves got there, they had this understanding. They thought, we're only going to be here for a very brief time and we're going to get to go home. But the truth of the matter is the military setting and the political setting of that daytime of that day meant that there was no way they were going home early. It actually took them 70 years to get back. And uh, in the midst of that, Jeremiah, the prophet in Jerusalem, writes to the people in Babylon and tells them, this is what you should expect in the days ahead. All right? That's the background to Jeremiah 29, how godly people live in a place or work in a place, reside, get their headspace around where God has placed them and how they, how they worked it out. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 1. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem. So it's coming from Jerusalem to the surviving elders. Some of them must have died along the way as they went from Jerusalem to, to um, Babylon. It's sent to the surviving elders among the exiles, to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now there's something fascinating about this passage of scripture right here, and that is right off the bat you need to know while this is between five and six hundred years before Jesus was born, and while a lot of, of biblical history had taken place prior to this event, this is the first time in Scripture that we actually have a letter. It's text. We know exactly what was written. And there's something to be said about that. Think about what God, in, as God puts together Scripture and, and as He uses human beings to put it together, that the first time that there's something of importance that is written down, that is in a letter form where you see the full text, is when it's written to people who are living in a place where they don't want to live. What's that say? It's important for us to pay attention. What happens? The verse 4 is where the letter starts. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses. Settle down. They think they're going to be there just a brief period of time. But Jeremiah is saying, no, that's not the case at all. The word of the Lord is, you're going to be there a long time, so build houses, settle down, plant gardens, eat what they produce. If you're going to plant a garden, you're expecting to be there at least harvest time, right? So it's going to be four or five months. Well, that goes beyond that. Mary have sons and daughters. So marriage and sons and daughters, you're talking at least nine months, right? Well, it goes beyond that. Mary and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons. So now stay there for long enough for a second generation and give your daughters in marriage so they too may have sons and daughters. So we're now we're talking about three generations removed. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. This, friends, is the crux of this series that, that, uh, sermon series that we're working on right now. This love where you are, when the, when the graphic comes up next time and you see the little red dot, pay attention to that red dot. Maybe like the pin dot that you see in a Google map. Love where you are. Because what this passage is all about, it teaches us how we are to be people who love the community where God has placed us. The Jews are in Babylon. They've been torn from their friends, from their family. They've been literally torn out of their homes, out of their vocations, out of all the things that were familiar to them. They now have to speak a different language. They have been ripped away from their culture. And yet God says this, 
Settle down. Seek the peace of the city. Seek the peace and the prosperity of the city where I've placed you. And apparently, if they were willing to do so, verse 7, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've called you, to which I've carried you. Apparently, it says, if you pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Huh. You are to pray for the place where you're living, where I've put you. And by the way, if, if that peace and prosperity comes to that place, then peace and prosperity will come to you. In other words, invest, invest your lives in the place where you're living. And as you invest, you're going to see other people invest, and you're going to see, well, you're going to put it, put it this way, if you will. In our language, you'd say, a rising tide raises all boats, doesn't it? That if you've got a bunch of boats in the water, it doesn't matter if it's a new boat, if it's an old boat, it doesn't matter if it's a big boat, it doesn't matter if it's a little skiff. When the tide goes up, all the boats go up. And God's word through Jeremiah to these exiles, to these captives is, you may be a reluctant guest, but on the other hand, settle in. Figure out how to do life. Figure out how to do your family life. And don't push pause just because you're in a place that you didn't expect to be. As a matter of fact, look at how he, he puts it in verse 4. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those I carried into exile. In other words, it would appear these people who are there miles, miles from home. They're going to be there for 70 years, and yet God says, I'm the one who put you there. And uh, what does that mean? That means you have to be willing, he's saying. You have to be willing to submit to the plan of God. See, friends, if we're going to follow God, if we're going to do what God calls us to do, then we're going to be people who submit to what God calls us to do. Following involves submission. There can be no other way to put it. And apparently, Jeremiah 29, verse 7 says, if we follow, we're supposed to seek the peace and the prosperity of the place to which we've been called. You would say, I bet many would say, well, you know, I, I, I'm all for that, and uh, I, I'm willing to read what Scripture has to say, and I'm glad I have it in English, but I, do you know any Hebrew? And how many people, I would suspect very few people in the room would say, I know any Hebrew words, but I would bet you know one Hebrew word. What's the one Hebrew word you know that probably when, when Jewish people meet each other, they say? Did you know that's the Hebrew word that's used right here in Jeremiah 29, verse 7, where it says, seek the peace and the prosperity of the city. The word there, peace and prosperity, is one word. It's translated into two English words for us here. But it's one word. It's shalom. And it means peace and welfare and prosperity and blessing. And it's, it's a case of this where it's not like, well, I just, I, just, I just pray that nothing bad happens. No, the word shalom there is not a, is not a pullback word. It's a push forward word. It's, I'm going, I'm going, it's an investing word. It's not just the, the absence of conflict, if you will, but much more so there's this notion of this positive blessing, particularly, particularly as it relates to a relationship with God. So if I'm going to speak shalom into somebody's life and say shalom to them, if I'm going to do that for this city, if you're going to do it for the community where you live as well, it's going to be a case that I am going to be used by God not just to avoid conflict, but to step into their lives so that I can bring them into a right relationship with God. What's fascinating about this passage of Scripture is that you could search all of antiquity. 
You could search throughout all of the scripture that we have. You could look through all the ancient writings of any culture, including Jewish culture. And you know there's only one place where you will find captives living in exile told to seek the shalom of the city where they live. It's right here. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 7. The only place in all of antiquity that says, hey, you may not be where you want to be, but if you're going to follow me, then you're going to seek the peace. You're going to invest in the place where you are. See, it's one thing to say, okay, God, I want peace and prosperity in my home, in the place where I want it to be. But what if God has you working in a setting you don't want to work or in a vocation you don't want to be in? What if God has you placed in a neighborhood where you go, these aren't my people? Well, apparently, apparently, God says, I put you there. I want you to stay there, at least for now. And while you're there, seek the shalom of the place where you are. Now, when we read Jeremiah 29, probably you've never heard that before because there's another passage of Scripture here in Jeremiah 29 that is very well known. It's verse 11. Do you see it there? As a matter of fact, let's, I'll just say this. Verse 11 gets printed on mugs. If you go to a Christian bookstore, you've got them on mugs. We have them on some wall hangings here in the church, and um, I've seen them around the building. People like it, and they put it up in their classroom, whatever it may be. Uh, I've seen it um, on bookmarks, and so and we like it. And, and it, it's Christian art. It's sometimes what I call Jesus junk, you know, stuff that you eventually put in a, in a, in a, in a, in a garage sale. Go, I'm tired of that. But who are we kidding? This is wonderful scripture, Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. Um, but can you read verse 10 with me beforehand? Some of you go, I can't believe he just said that. <laughs> well, it's the way it is. I know how. Anyways, it says... <laughs> Verse 10, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I'll come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. Great news. After a period of time, we're going home. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future. Then you'll call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And we love verse 11, don't we? We like it that God has a plan and a future for us and there's an, there's an end to what we're doing. And I love landing there. Perfect. God, I, and I'm, at that point it's not Jesus junk. At that point it is God's word to me that there is, a, there is a reason that I'm where I am. But may I remind you that while God has a plan in mind for us, that plan is not set in a vacuum. Within the context of this setting of where it actually comes from, it is spoken to people who are really struggling to find how this could be God's will. And it is set in a context where people are frankly being told to live in a city where they don't want to live and to seek the shalom of that community. I trust that you are living where you live today because you have a, seek, a real clear sense that that's where God's put you. Oh, you may not be there forever. I get that. But can you seek the shalom of the neighborhood where you live? That's why last week we asked you to do this. Do you see those cards in your program again today? We asked you to go in, around the community and uh, pray this prayer. Open up that program and pull that card out again, okay? 
where it says, the Lord bless you. Find it again. And, and, and last week, if you weren't with us, we spent a long time talking about what does it mean to be a priest. We, as Protestants, we believe in the priesthood of all believers. And uh, we asked everybody to go around the neighborhood. And frankly, if they were unable to memorize this scripture, at least to take it with them. And as they walk, the Lord bless that house. The Lord, well, I see, if you could put it in the language of today's message, I, I'm praying, Lord, for the shalom of God Almighty to be in that place. And um, that was the focal point of this past week, of last week's message. As a matter of fact, can you guys throw the slide up of that? I think it should be coming up. And let's say it out loud again together right now. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Now, friends, I need you to know that that understanding is not just found in Numbers, where we looked last week, or in Jeremiah, where we looked today. But it's not just an Old Testament understanding that we're going to, if we're the people of God, we're going to step into that sort of stuff. It's also found in the, in, in the New Testament, in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 17, there's a very interesting um, parallel understanding. Acts chapter 17 is where I'm headed. And if I can give you a brief background to where we're going with this. Acts is... Um, details the story of a fellow named Paul, or some, sometimes referred to as Saul. The primary writer of the New Testament, the most important character of the New Testament apart from Jesus. And in his travels, he ends up as a Jewish man in Athens. So he's in a Greek city where he is one of very few Jewish people, and there are all these people around him who um, don't know anything about Jewish religion, let alone the fact that he is a Jewish Christian and that he believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he's trying to get, he's trying to bring all these Gentiles, if you will, these Greeks, up to speed with what God has done. And he's just explaining the full meta story of God. And in verse 26, he says this, from one man, he, God, made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out, God decided, God wrote, God put in place, he marked out their appointed times in history. In other words, God put individuals in particular times in history and the boundaries of their lands. And he, he put them not only a particular time, but also a particular place, the boundary, the, the property line of where they were to live and where they were to carry on their lives, okay? And God did this. Why did God do that? God did this so they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Wow. What Paul is saying, in other words, your time, my time, He's telling this to the Greeks, but it's very applicable to us, and it translates back into the people of Jeremiah 500 years beforehand, that God puts you in the place where you live, and in the settings where you go, and in the, the vocations that you're in right now, and in the relationships you're in right now, God specifically marked out those times and those boundary lines, and there's like, if you will, a corner pin Dug, you know, pounded into the ground that says, this is where the line is of this person's life, just like you have in your property at the house. The places of your life are marked out by God. And why was that the case? So that you'll reach out to other people. In other words, God has uniquely placed you in the neighborhood where you live, in the apartment building where you live, in the farm area where you live, whatever the case may be. God has put you there specifically for a reason. I could push it this way, if you will, that all of us sitting in pews today are uniquely the primary vehicle that God is going to use to reach into the neighborhoods where we are. 
bringing them into a relationship with God. I'm very clear, very clear about that. I have no doubt about that. Because who, who are we kidding? The church or our church could do all kinds of programming. We could do all kinds of, have all kinds of ways in which we could say, hey, y'all come to the community. But the, that programming is completely ineffective unless you are involved in the relationships with the people in the community. And uh, to go back to that little red dot that we, you've been seeing on these, um, in this graphic that Crystal designed for us, a year ago, we wondered where everybody in the community was living. And so we did some number crunching. Actually, we put it all in the computer. It took a number of hours for the computer to spit out a graphic that would show us where everybody lived. And uh, I've kept this for the last year thinking, I need to use this. And so I want you to see with all those little dots where all of our people from First Christian Church of a year ago lived. And we have more people since then. Here's a, here's a Google map, okay? And there are places there where there are multiple people living. You're saying, well, there's, there's more than that. Well, yeah, but I want you to see how widespread our church is and how we could impact this city. How we could seek the shalom of the neighborhoods in which we live. Which takes me back to the dog I met on Monday in my neighborhood. Because I'm walking along the same path Tuesday morning about the same time, 20 after 6, 6.30, something like that. And I'm walking along and here comes the lady with the lab again. And again, 30, 40 feet away, I'm not thinking I need to get off the sidewalk this time, okay? The dog is not straight. The dog immediately goes down on all fours again and puts his chin on the pavement. I'm thinking, this is so cute. Because I use the word cute all the time. <laughs> Anyways, you were such a cute dog. No, I didn't do that, but nonetheless. So I come up to the lady and I say, so he did this yesterday. Yeah, he does it pretty well for everybody. It means he wants to meet you. And I said, does that mean he wants me to touch him? Yes, he'd like you to pet him. I said to her, is it okay if I pet him? And she said, yeah. So I reached down and I just fondled his head for maybe four or five seconds and stood up. But the second day, this time when I did this, this on, I think this was Tuesday, when I stood up, the dog did something different than he'd done the day before. See, the day before when I'd come up and he'd been laying there on the ground waiting for me to say hello, I walked on and he stayed there. He stayed there on the ground. But this time when I went up and I actually reached out and touched him, he stood up and he was ready to leave. Here's the spirituality of this. Here's my understanding. Is I, in, you know, early, early in the morning, this had this, this word from God, if you will. This dog has really spoken to me. Not that God's a dog, but backward. Oh, God. <laughs> There's a joke there somewhere, but we'll pass on it. Here, here's my thinking. Here's my thinking. You've got this dog. What's a dog want to do at 6 o'clock in the morning? They want to go on a walk. They want to stretch their legs, okay? They, that's their task. They're ready to go, and go somewhere. But this dog, in an effort to reach out and be touched and to speak into the lives of other people, of people, it interrupts, the dog interrupts his daily walk. It occurs to me, what would it be like if the individuals of our congregation were known in our neighborhood as the people who can be on task, 
But when the moment comes along, their task is willing to be interrupted so they could be the tangible touch of Jesus Christ. Hmm. We so, so get on task that we fail to see, hey, God could be asking me to be, stop what I'm doing and to seek the shalom, to seek the peace and the prosperity of the communities in which I live. Which is why I want to say to you this week, okay, here's your assignment this week. Use these cards again, please. Go around the neighborhood. Be an agent of God. And I know maybe you don't have a neighborhood that doesn't work. Maybe your neighborhood's in a straight line and you can't go in. Whatever the case. You know, maybe if you live in the country in farms, maybe as you're driving past, you're praying this over people's lives. Be creative, all right? But beyond that, now that we've got you praying, we've got an assignment for you this week, okay? If you look in your program, you see this refrigerator magnet. And uh, we had these made, not so you could play tic-tac-toe on them by any means, all right? Though you could do that with it, I suppose. Um, we put your house in the center of the neighborhood. You know, where, you know your name, but do you know the names of the people around you? In other words, we want you to go from praying for them to starting to know them. And um, I need to tell you, there's a long-term plan for this. And we're, we're going to lead you through it, but by the time we get to this, the end of the summer, we've got ev- we, we're going to have events in neighborhoods all around the city on your behalf as you lead us as a church into reaching into the lives of your, your community, okay, and where you live. So that's where we're going in the long run, but between now and then, you're, pr- whoops, you're praying for people, and you're starting to know their names, okay? Because I, I, I want to be, be very careful that we are a congregation that doesn't keep our spirituality inside the walls of the church. We have to be people willing to say, I will go where God calls me to go, and I'm living where I'm living, so this is the most important place where I could seek the shalom, because if the peace and prosperity of God comes to this community where I live, you know what happens? It comes into my life as well. Which, um, if I may, just lets me kind of give you one more story if I could today. Some of you who were with us last week will recall that I talked about how we had some ducks land in our courtyard a few weeks ago, and they normally are out in the, um, in the retention pond, but they landed in the courtyard, and un- they were obviously looking for some quiet private time, and they found it in the church courtyard, of all things, and started making ducklings. And so we've been wondering how we were going to get those ducks, those little ducklings, out of the church and into real life. And to that end, um, when I brought that up to you last week, we had a variety of different responses. To, you could do this, you could do the other. Well, we came up with a plan, and I want you to see us shooing the little ducklings out of the safety of the courtyard. There was no way they could get out of there unless we helped them watch the video to see how we got them out. How do I? They were great for a sermon illustration for one week. But for rivers gone away, it's so hard to say goodbye 
So here's what we did, friends. We took those ducks and we shooed them out of the church. Because, who are we kidding? In order to go from ducklings to fully mature ducks, they can't stay inside the church courtyard. Right? You know what I'm doing, friends? I'm saying, come on, get out of the church. Go pray over your neighborhood. Seriously. We'll even make a video of you doing it if we have to. Get out there, guys. Go pray over your neighbors. Seek this peace and prosperity of our city and the neighborhoods where we live, and let's see what God does in the days ahead, all right? You up for it? I am. Would you stand together and let's pray? <clears throat> Lord, I thank you for the individuals in this room today who make up the church called First Christian. Huh. Lord, you have enabled us to do so much in this community in the past. And our deepest desire is that we would never stop with what we've already accomplished. But instead, God, that we'd be a, we'd be a congregation that, well, Lord, I, I, the language is we want to be shooed out of the church. We don't want our spirituality stuck here. We want it to impact our community. And Lord, and specifically the neighborhoods where we live. So we, we are, good, Lord, going to seek the, the shalom, the peace and prosperity of Decatur as a whole and the individual neighborhoods where we live. Help us to do that, God, with a sense of your direction. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.